1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be back. Special thanks to everyone in Longwood and Fort Worth, uh, as well as Tyler, Texas, as well as Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma City. I'm back here. Can't wait to go to Newtown, Pennsylvania tomorrow. As the President and Freedom Fighter Tour wraps up, and uh, Allison could not be more sick of me. We have done more events in more different cities, on more planes, in more in more uh, SUVs than anybody, two people should ever have to.
3: That might be true. However, <laughs> when we are on book tour, I don't have screaming children waking up in the middle of the night.
2: Right. You have them on FaceTime.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so we have a uh, call Rove, at the bottom of the hour. And I look forward to talking to you. one 408 7669 So let's get to the big three.
1: NOW WITH THE STORIES YOU NEED TO KNOW, IT'S BRIAN'S BIG THREE.
4: NUMBER THREE.
5: I THINK YOU'VE HEARD THE ADMINISTRATION, YOU'VE HEARD BIDEN SAY HOW TOUGH HE WAS IN THAT CALL AND MINCE NO WORDS. BUT VLADIMIR PUTIN, I'M TOLD BY U.S. OFFICIALS, WAS EQUALLY TOUGH. HE DID NOT BACK DOWN. HE PLAYED THE VICTIM. HE SAID HE WAS THE aggrieved PERSON AND STOPPED WITH ALL THIS DEMOCRACY.
6: THAT IS,
2: OF COURSE, MARTHA RADDICKS giving the Russian side of the story, because we only got Joe Biden's version of a virtual event, Russia. One week after Vladimir Putin was given a direct warning about invading Ukraine, he added 10,000 more troops at their mutual border and ratcheted up the rhetoric. Why should we, why should all you know, that is why we should all know this is much more about Russia, it's much more about Iran, it's much more about China. We'll talk about it.
4: Number two. We're going to begin tonight with the staggering inflation that is hitting Americans right in the wallet. Prices were up 6.8% in November compared to a year ago. That is the biggest increase in nearly 40 years. Expenses for a typical American yes. family have shot up by about $4,000 in the past year.
2: Wow, Joe, your economic report card came in. It came in the mail. It is not good. You know that Build Back Better plan you had coming for Christmas? It's been
7: punted into the stands, we hope. I'll tell you why.
8: Number one.
7: A lot of those people made the decision because the mandate was there, and it was the thing that moved them, and it's, it's keeping people alive. We've proven that mandates work, and now we're up against a new enemy with this new variant. We've got to have a strategy to fight back.
2: Oh, Mayor de Blasio, here we go again. Our parents, excuse me, our politicians begin clamping down with mandate mania while racing us uh, for a variant, bracing us for a variant that has mild symptoms. Does anyone think about what this means for business and school kids of all ages? Ever? That's what they started. Oh, we're going to do a mask mandate. Uh, the, the numbers are ticking up in New York City and some places of New York State. New York State is huge. We have mostly uh, everyone in Nassau County, which is on Long Island, 91% vaccination. On uh, Suffolk County, 88%. This, this virus has a mind of its own. Everyone was saying Florida's permissive uh, policies are allowing it to rage. Florida's the least infected in the country. Michigan has been able to keep a clamp on the virus because of the restrictions that Governor Whitmer has in place. They are being overrun by the virus. The virus has a say in it. And Mayor de Blasio, trying to run for governor as an extreme lefty, comes out and says, masks for everybody. Cut one.
7: Since I put mandates in place in New York City starting in August, we've seen over a million more doses. Seventy one percent of our people fully vaccinated. A lot of those people made the decision because the mandate was there and it was the thing that moved them. And it's it's keeping people alive. So I, I do agree with you. We have to take all the factors into account. But we've proven that mandates work. And now we're up against a new enemy with this new variant. We've got to have a strategy to fight back.
2: We were told you, if you get vaccinated, no mask. Now we have to wear a mask and get vaccinated. Now you got to get, instead of just two shots, you get it, three shots. And they're warning us we're probably going to have to get four shots. And according to Anthony Fauci, if you don't like it, just get used to it. It's So what? Suck it up. That's not okay with me. I'm not going to sit there like some sheep and do everything some six-foot, five-inch incompetent, lazy mayor wants us to do. It'll never, ever happen. And this Governor Hochul... Play using us as pawns as she tries to prove she's liberal enough to get a nomination. I'm not going to put up with it. You should not put up with it. These county executives should be able to respond to their own counties. I love this. So when this comes out, uh, Governor Hochul starts calling up these county executives, and one of them, uh, and I hope more of them, had a major pushback and uh, about the uh, about the COVID virus, and it was from Rockland County, and they said, "Do me a favor, Ed Day." the staff called him up on Friday to redirect county health department staff from vaccinations to enforcement of the mask mandate. His retort, 84% of the people 18 and over are vaccinated and added the health department is not in the process of following up on mask mandates and enforcing. They said that would be absolutely reckless. Neither are cops. My hopes is that people understand you can't defame and defraud cops and defund them and then tell them to crack down on people who aren't wearing a mask on, at a Newmark in Lewis, or at a Best Buy. you got to be kidding me. So that's where we're heading right now, and it's just angering people, especially me, beyond description. Joe Borelli, a rare Republican in New York City as a councilman, cut two.
7: The crazy part is that we'll see this being enforced in New York City. The majority of the state is governed by Republicans, uh, conservative upstate New York. Uh, even on Long Island, you have a new county executive, Bruce Blake- Blake- Blakeman, uh who came out and said, we're not gonna enforce it. County executives are making the decision uh, and realizing that their hospitals are not overloaded, that Omicron is not causing a, a-, a run on uh, hospitalizations or deaths, and that going to this knee-jerk reaction uh, for mandates is actually counterproductive.
2: So now, uh, excuse me, you can't go to the Nutcracker because your five-year-old, Timmy, is not vaccinated because you don't really feel secure getting vaccinated. And you know if you're a kid and you get the virus, not only are you are going to have mild symptoms, there's, almost no, there's also a chance, if you do take it, that you could have some swelling of the heart. Especially for young athletes, for the teenagers, uh, we're seeing that. Not a lot, but enough to make one parent take a pause, I would think. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci. As much as I despise playing his soundbites, cut for My message to parents is, if your child is five years of age and older, please get them vaccinated. We need to protect the children. This idea that children are not vulnerable at all is not so, George.
6: I mean, certainly, statistically, children do not get as severe disease as the adults, particularly the elderly. But if you look at the number of cases... Of children Now, well over 2 million children from 5 to 11 have been infected. There have been
2: over 8,000 to 9,000 hospitalizations and well over 100 deaths. So it's
9: not only good for the health of the child, but also to prevent the spread in the community.
2: Yeah, it's not just happening in New York and, of course, Washington. I'm thinking about what they were saying in California and what Governor Newsom thought he lead the fray by being the strictest when it comes to vaccines. Cut 12. Kevin Kiley, a Republican in California. He's in the California State Assemblyman, cut 12.
7: Gavin Newsom announced this mandate uh, on October 1st of this year. Uh, This was before anything had even been approved. He issued it preemptively and applied it to private schools as well. And he put out this uh, press release boasting California is the first state in the nation. He thought he was going to be the big hero and that all the blue state governors were then going to follow his example. But now, two and a half months later, that's not what happened. Not a single other state has done what Newsom did. And some of the big districts here in California that were going to have a mandate, they're starting to backtrack. But frankly, it might be too late as far as the political fallout is concerned, because I think mm-hmm. for a lot of folks here in California, even people who went along with some of the previous mandates, they are seeing with fresh eyes what's been going on all along here, that throughout the course of this whole thing, California has had the highest level of government coercion and control.
2: And they have not had great numbers, and they tried to recall their governor in a majority Democratic state, and they've lost thousands of residents to the point where they actually lost a representative in Congress. So how's Joe Biden doing reversing that trend, giving Democrats a chance to bring normalcy back to Washington? Well, he's doing terrible. And why do I say that? Because ABC just did a poll and just confirms he's doing terrible when it comes to the handling of crime. 36% approved. That's even a little high. President's handling of gun violence, 32% approved. President's handling of economic recovery, 41% approved. Look, some GDP is going up and unemployment's going down. But when it comes to inflation, it's at 60, 6.2%. And that got him a 28% 28, uh, percent approval rating. 28! So we know, and everybody knows, we had to stop the economy for two weeks to start to bend the curve. And we bent it, and we've been punished for the last two years. So having done that, we knew inflation was going to come. But he spent $1.9 trillion, wants to spend another $1.9 trillion, already spent a bipartisan $1.2 trillion, and he's paying all this supplemental to keep people from working, to keep people home. And now we're seeing that nobody wants to work. The participation level is down. People aren't taking their vitamins. They're just wait. They're hiding in the house. He has set a terrible tone. And the president's handling of immigration, believe it or not, there's some people that like it. disapprove. I don't know who would ever approve. And this goes back to that old Smith Barney saying from years ago on commercials. He's gotten those numbers because he's earned those low numbers. Here's Chris Christie, cut 14.
10: That is the biggest problem he faces because it cuts across all demographics. It doesn't matter who you are in this country, where you live, what your income level is. Um, Inflation affects everyone. And it makes everybody feel nervous, George. Because they think to themselves, like, what if I can't afford, fill in the blank, whatever it is they want to try to get for their families? And the president seems to be in denial about it.
2: Yeah, the president seems to be in denial about it. He's just now acknowledging it. He said the shelves are not bare. Really? Okay, supply chain is better, and uh, we'll have everything we want for Christmas. Really? Okay. That's pretty definitive. Oh, and inflation? Now we start to acknowledge it's a problem. Not transitory. Lindsey Graham knows the key to this whole thing. And the whole next phase would be the reconciliation package. Two trillion. It's, it's basically a green wish list. It's the fundamentals of AOC's new green deal. And it's got to stop. Lindsey Graham. Knows that Manchin's the key. Cut 15.
11: And you know why I wrote a letter to CBO? Because Joe Manchin came to me and he said, I think this bill is full of gimmicks. That these programs won't (coughs) go away, Lindsey. And if you score them for 10 years, I think the bill will
2: double. And it did. So they went to the CBO and say, hey, they keep saying these are only one year programs. From the tax credits to uh, everything else, the giveaways in this bill. And it's do it for 10. When they did it for 10, it was about 4.5 trillion dollars. We can't afford this bill. We know we can't afford this bill. Yet you have Amy Klobuchar telling everybody,
5: we need to pass it. To save money, cut 18. Senator Manchin is still at the negotiating table. There is no doubt about that. I am all in on getting it done by Christmas and we'll do everything to get it done. Joe Manchin is someone, he gets our country. He gets the plight of so many people in West Virginia and how they've been having to pay more for our prescription drug prices.
2: Yeah, they're trying to kiss his butt and get him to do something. But he does not want to raise the tax rate up to the corporate tax rate past 25. Kirsten Sinema doesn't want to raise it at all. The upper bracket from 37 to 39, Kirsten Sinema says, no, I don't think we should be doing that. Uh, He is also against the child uh, family leave paid, paid family leave. So he says we can't afford it. And he just doesn't think we should do anything right now in this inflationary environment. And he thinks the 6.2% rise, that's the less – that's the less – uh, that's the more it's going to cost you to buy things and the less uh, your dollar will actually buy things. So the 6.2%, he thinks, vindicates him. I hope he does not give in. It's so sad that we got to depend on two Democrats, or at least one. One, that's a jump ship, that's all. Karl Rove coming up at the bottom of the hour, but you can make your calls now, one 408
0: You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: What made you decide to take U.S. ground combat troops off the table when it comes to
12: Ukraine? There never were on the table. And are you ready to send American troops into war and go into Ukraine to fight Russians on their battlefield? Look, here's the deal. I've made it absolutely clear to President Putin, it's the last thing I'll say, that if he moves on Ukraine, The economic consequences for his economy are going to be devastating. Devastating.
2: Yeah, well, uh, evidently he didn't get the message, and he has nothing to lose. And the fact is, you're letting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline go through anyway. You're showing it's a huge advantage for Russia. It outraged Poland. It outraged the Ukraine. They bypassed both those countries, and Germany sold us out and the West out by letting the hub go through there. Uh, and how tough are you going to be in the winter? It's telling Russia we're not going to buy your gas anymore. Well, where are you going to get it? Sean, listen, WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Sean.
13: Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing?
2: Good. What's on your mind?
13: Hey, uh, that last cut, I mean, Joe Biden is such a clown. I mean, he he allowed all this stuff to happen. But regardless, um, the, all these politicians are out here talking about, um, you know, the the buying of goods has never been higher. Um, people are still buying stuff regardless of inflation. Yeah, what What am I supposed to just stop buying <laughs> diapers for my children? What am I supposed to not buy milk, eggs, and bread just because it costs more? No, I, I still have to buy that stuff no matter what. But the fact of the matter is that it costs more, and just because people are still buying it, of course they're go- we're, we're always going to continue to buy the stuff regardless of the price because we need it. But it's, it's re- it would be really great if the price didn't break our backs.
2: Right. So, Sean, just to regular- clarify, a lot of people don't know what you're referring to. The fact is he said, well, and so is Jen Psaki. You know, the price go up, but you're getting so much more money, people are still buying it. Yeah, it's, it's, I need I need food. I need water. I need diapers, whatever your situation is. So, But because people are buying staples in their life, they think that it shows you that they were able to digest and handle inflation. Uh, When it's just not true. Sean, thank you. Senator Roger Marshall was on Meet the Press yesterday and says simply the reason why the numbers are so bad for Joe Biden is because of his policies and the Build Back Better would make it all worse, worse, worse. Cut 20.
11: Certainly, the issue of inflation is the number one problem that I'm hearing from folks back home. And this is Biden inflation, a 39-year high created by Joe Biden. Think about his policies that have caused this inflation. First of all, he borrowed an extra three trillion dollars on top of the regular five trillion dollars, so they're spending money like drunken sailors. Next, think about his energy policy. So we shut off the supply by shutting off pipelines, by by stopping drilling on public lands, by making it hard to borrow. Money in that field as well. And then finally, he's paying people more to stay at home than to go to work. So that created uh, labor shortages and supply chain uh, problems as well. So really, Joe Biden owns this inflation problem. He does. I mean, we would have had inflation.
2: through really no fault of our own because we had to stop our economy and it had to stop for way too long and it's been taking a while to start it up again but the supplemental payments go too high because people want to get elected they don't want to stop the payments because people want to get reelected, they don't want to stop the payments it means somebody's got to start paying again one thing they're going to go back online with paying back student loans now it's already been a year and a half and people are complaining the loans they took out they got to pay back now they're wrong. Joe Biden just to forgive all student loans What about those morons that actually paid their tuition or paid off their loans? Are they going to now all of a sudden say, why didn't I just hold out? So there's just no responsibility left. So Joe Biden's numbers are so bad. Despite the January 6th investigation, President Trump not being on social media at all. It looks like they're in a dead heat in every battleground state. And the more he governs, the worse he gets. Who knows what will happen Uh, in the next year if the Republicans are able to get back to House and Senate. 1-866-408-7669. Call Rove next, and then we'll have you. Brian Show.
10: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News a
1: radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: We're going to begin tonight with the staggering inflation that is hitting Americans right in the wallet. Prices were up 6.8 percent in November compared to a year ago. That is the biggest increase in nearly 40 years. The cost of pretty much everything is surging food, gas, electricity, housing, cars and clothes. And those who received raises this year are seeing them wiped out by skyrocketing costs. Listen to this. By one estimate, expenses for a typical American family have shot up by about $4,000 in the past year.
2: That is Nora O'Donnell of CBS running through the inflationary numbers and the economic numbers. Now, look, I'm sure that Joe Biden made it clear when he met with communications experts, excuse me, media members and his communication team to try to get better media coverage. Really? Joe Biden wants better media coverage. I'm sure he brought up unemployment Being low, and I'm sure he wrote GDP is going up. But not many people feel it because they see empty shelves. They see their paychecks going higher, but inflation's outstripping it. Uh, And a lot of people just choosing not to work. Karl Rove always works, former deputy chief of staff for President Bush, um, best selling author, Fox News contributor, Wall Street Journal columnist Karl. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Glad to be back. Inflation's at 6.2%. You heard Nora O'Donnell just run through some of these numbers. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, underwater on almost every uh, issue, major issue, economic issue, and he's earned it.
14: He has. And, And the White House seems to be unaware of the fact that inflation is up nearly 7 percent, and wages are up less than 2 percent, which means that people are enjoying about a 5 percent decline in their real purchasing power. Now, they, they may not be able to give you all the numbers, but all they know is what they're getting is not stretching as far as it seemed to used to used to stretch. So, uh, and, and their idea is all we got to do is say, things are better than you think, Don't who are you going to believe, uh, uh, us or, you know, your lion eyes and ears, uh And if we pass this gigantic spending bill we 've got free free things for you, and you're going to be better off because of it and people don't believe it
2: uh here is uh what it means for the rec- here's the key though what it means for the reconciliation package uh because he's trying to jam that through before christmas here's what Lindsey Graham was saying yesterday, and it really comes down to two democratic votes because they need zero republic they don't need zero republican help cut fifteen.
11: And you know why I wrote a letter to CBO? Because Joe Manchin came to me and he said, I think this bill is full of gimmicks, that these programs won't go away, Lindsay, And if you score them for 10 years, I think the bill will double.
2: So he went and came out to it did double, uh, more than double when the CBO score when you say no, these no, no, programs no, are sticking no, no, around. No, no.
11: no,
14: it didn't more than double. It was a trillion seven with about a 100 and call it 150, no more than 150 billion in red ink that $3 trillion additional total to that $1.7 trillion is virtually all red ink. So we went from a bill that was $1.7 trillion in in spending, of which about a, call it a trillion-five-fifty, uh, was covered to a bill that in reality, because these things are not going to end. They're not going to, you know, they're playing gimmicks with this. Well, oh, we're the child tax credit is only going to go for one year. No, 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 no. You intend to, to, to have it run all 10 years. When you do that, the red ink goes from about $150 billion, 126 to $150 billion. It goes to $3, 150 billion dollars more than double.
2: So they said it's a fake, as uh, Jen Saki said, that's sure a is. fake CBO call.
14: No, no, no. Well, it's not a fake CBO uh, score. The bill is a fake. Name me one Democrat who says, yeah, I only want the child tax credit for the one year that's embedded in this bill. Oh, yeah, I'm only in favor of the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare subsidies running for four years. They intend to keep every one of these policies in place. For all 10 years of the window, they have 10 years worth of revenue to pay for one year of the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit, and I think it's three or four years of the Obamacare subsidies, and so on and so forth. There are no big programs in this bill that are funded for all 10 years, and yet they intend every and, and these the dates where they uh, where they. Expire allows them to turn them into a campaign issue every year. If we do the child tax credit, pass this bill now, and have the child tax credit, you can bet the Democrats are going to be saying, "Well, the mean Republicans want to end the child tax credit that that is that that is expiring here at the end of 2022." So, vote Democrat in the prime in the in the general election if you want to have your child tax credit payments continue.
2: I just want before I leave this, I want you to hear what Roger Marshall said about this. My hope is that the only good news about the inflation going up would be they're not going to jam this uh, this pure agenda bill down our throats, all unnecessary spending towards greening our economy and becoming more socially dependent on government. Here's what Roger Marshall said about Senator Klobuchar's pledge to pass it by Christmas, cut 19.
11: I don't see that happening. I think Joe Biden's going to listen to the people of West, or Joe Manchin's going to listen to the people of West Virginia who don't want more inflation, who don't want us to borrow more money. Uh, Joe knows that uh, he's a shrewd politician. He knows that the people of West Virginia will not support this, and uh, I think Kirsten Cinema down there in Arizona is feeling the same heat as well. They don't want more inflation.
2: So. Do uh, your indications are, since you're depending on them, that they will? I mean, do you think about this? Cinema is already on the record saying, I don't want to raise taxes on corporations. I don't want to raise taxes on the upper class. So from 37 to 39. So those are two revenue streams she doesn't want anything to do with.
14: Well, I've I wrote my, I've been writing my columns. I wrote, I wrote last week that I thought it was that it, it was not going to happen and not going to happen before Christmas. And I think, look, I'm I'm going to take Joe Manchin at his word. I wish Lindsey Graham had not talked about a private conversation he had with Joe Manchin. Let's not put the guys under enough heat already. No need to get, no need to fi- put more fire on him. But but I, I'm I'm going to take him at his word, and his word is I'm not going for. You know, uh, more. Th- I'm not going for a bill that's not paid for. And, and uh, Senator Cornyn and Senator Graham both made a request to the CBO. The CBO came back on Friday. To me, one of the amazing things is how the media is, mainstream media. I think I'm going to write about this this week for my Wall Street Journal column, so I'm not going to give you all my good stuff. But I'm shocked at how much when that came out. The media sort of said, well, you know, Democrats, you know, they they haven't said that they'll extend them. Well, give me one Democrat member of Congress who said all we need is one year of the, the earned income tax increase. Uh, and one year of the t- the child tax credit. G- give me one member who said, I'm willing to vote for this because it's going to expire in a year. Not a single Democrat has that intention.
2: So, uh, by the way, I was able to go all over Texas. I was more of a Texan than you this weekend. I was in Fort Worth. I was in Longwood. I was in Tyler, Texas.
14: That's called Longview. It's called Longview. What did I say? Longwood. Oh, That's sorry, a town, man. I think, in Virginia, but it's not a town in,
2: in Actually, Longwood High School, I'm thinking about in Brentwood, Long Island. But— um, but I've just had a chance to talk to a lot of people, and a lot of them are upset about people. I'm getting a lot of questions about crime and the border. Now, I look at yep. his numbers in the AB, on the ABC poll, 36% approval of of is handling crime. I'm surprised it's even 36%, because people want me to usually, when I go out to these tours, uh, it's usually Republican or Democrat question. I have all these questions are really right and wrong. Are you pro-smash-and-grab? Are you pro-allowing people to steal up to $1,000 worth of stuff that doesn't belong to them? Are you pro-organized crime? That's what it comes down to. Are you pro-not putting criminals in jail? Are you amazed, Carl, at a time in which you study politics in such detail, how much of this is right and wrong instead of red and blue?
14: Yeah, it's amazing. And, and and step back even further. Think about one guy. You you think one person can't have an influence? Think about George Soros putting money, large sums of money, into district attorney races in order to elect district attorneys who use their discretionary power to basically, uh, you know, decriminalize large acts, large large numbers of acts. That's what's happened in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Happened in Austin, Texas. George Soros put one million dollars into the Democratic primary for for district attorney in order to defeat Margaret Moore, who was a well respected, moderately liberal Democrat who had the respect of Republicans and Democrats alike, but he put in a left winger who is, you know, pro homeless policies, pro decriminalization of of all kinds of things. And 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 you got to give George Soros his due. He's put his money where his mouth is by doing this all around the country, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Austin, Los Angeles, everywhere that he can possibly make a difference. He's trying to make a difference by electing people who will ignore the law, and who will take the statutes on the books of their states and say, forget it. I've decided I'm going to have a different uh, a, a different judicial uh, d- different justice system because I'm in charge.
2: So just real quick, uh, handling the economy, forty-one percent approve it. That's higher than I would think, but still low. Uh, handling of immigration, sixty-three uh, percent uh, uh, disapprove. No kidding. Have you? Have, can you possibly screw up the border more? Carl Rove, are you under the being that you're a Texan? Are you in the uh, in the school that thinks that President Biden actually likes this, this this raft of illegal immigrants pouring through the border? Two plus two trillion. Two plus two million.
14: No, I, look, I, I, I think it's worse than that. That would mean he have a, has an opinion. I think he just doesn't know. I, I was shocked when the Secretary of Homeland Security could not answer questions about how many people came across the border, how many e- encounters were there with the, uh, illegals trying to cross the border. He didn't know the number. And, and, and you know, the woman who's supposedly in charge of the border, of border, Kamala Harris, she comes down to the border. Yeah, but she comes down and goes to a town that's 400 miles away from where the trouble is. She's not in touch with these sheriffs and these county judges. Those are our county executives uh, all along the border. You want to come, hey, you come down and hunt with me on my lease in Kennedy County, Texas, in late January, and you're going to see firsthand we're 70 miles north of the border, and the Border Patrol has given us a notice saying – You need to call the – if you see illegals, and we will see illegals on our property, you need to call – this county is half the size of Rhode Island and 450, 500 people live in the county. There's a lot of wide open space, and they say do not take any chances. Call this number as soon as you see illegals, and we will send resources to intercept them because they're coming across and coming north. And you you can't blame them. In one respect, they want a better life, and they're not getting it where they are. And we are not doing what we need to do in order to protect our border. Texas is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to do what the federal government is refusing to do, and that is put resources on the border, our National Guard, our Department of Public Safety, additional assistance for local law enforcement, all because the federal government is not doing what what it needs to do. And it's not because I think they have a particular view. I think it's because they're incompetent.
2: Uh, Governor Abbott, do you like the way he's handling this?
14: Yeah, well, I, absolutely. But I don't, as a Texan, I don't like the fact that we got to take money that would otherwise go to our schools yep, or go to our parks go to our health services, and instead spend it to do what the federal government is refusing to do. I went to a wedding in Uvalde uh, about six weeks ago, down near the border. The little hotel I was staying in, there were, th- some, there were some 30-some-odd uh, State Department of Public Safety vehicles there, because they had to bring in people from all across the state in order to man the border, because the federal government is failing to do its job. It's their responsibility, and yet the people of Texas are being taxed by our state government in order to do what the federal government to
2: be paying for and doing wow uh, a lot there a couple of things real quick on individual candidates people keep saying well the senate's going to go one way the republic is this way don't you agree in the senate it depends on who they're running and a couple of Absolutely. people have emerged for example i know your governor sununu uh will not be running for that senate seat do you think anybody's out there has a potential to effectively run against senator hassan who's vulnerable
14: Absolutely. Let's let's go find them, though. And then, and, and frankly, I'm involved in efforts to go find them. Okay. And the same, the same in some other states. We we you you put your finger on it. We got a lot more Senate seats up in Republican territory this year, and 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 the races where we got a shot are are going to depend on having a high quality candidate who does the right thing. We frankly were saved in Pennsylvania. Sean Purnell may be a nice guy. I don't know, but but the fact that his wife. Uh, he lost that custody case, and he decided he couldn't run. Was good because he was a lousy candidate when he ran for the state. should be when he ran for the U.S. House seat, he he should have won that seat, and instead he came up short. And now we got a chance. We got a couple of smart people who are thinking about getting in the race. One of them who has, and we have a shot to have a good candidate who can who can hold uh, Senator Toomey Mike uh, Pat Toomey's seat when uh, when he gives it up this coming year.
2: And I think you got McCormick who might run. He's very successful uh, businessman, yes. but not with a huge name. But you got to Doctor Oz. You you like both of them?
14: Uh, yeah, and and I'm I'm interested to see uh, who who turns out to be the better candidate. Uh, but we've got – you're right. We've got, to get, we've got to get good candidates, and we've got to get good candidates who – the definition of that is somebody who can articulate a message that will draw together and unite the Republican Party and then go into a general election in which, in all likelihood, they will be outspent dramatically by the Democrats. We saw this in 2020. No Republican candidate in a competitive race outspent their Democrat opponent. In fact, it wasn't even close in races like South Carolina, where Lindsey Graham won, and, and elsewhere across the country. So we're, we're, we have to have superior candidates in order to take the right. Senate. We can't just put a name on the ballot and say they got Donald Trump's endorsement and hope to God that it works. We're, we're going to be competitive in states that are going to be tough. That's why I'm excited that we got Adam Laxalt in Nevada. The guy was his state attorney general. He's yeah. got a famous name. He's an energetic campaigner. He loves to raise money. He knows the issues. He's, he's laying out an agenda. The agenda is focused on the future, not the past. And that's what we got to do.
2: How about Herschel Walker?
14: Well, he's a first-time candidate, and and you know, there's something to be said. Just like you wouldn't put a you know, first-time person onto the onto the playing field uh, without a little bit of training and and uh, and 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 backup. So we'll see. I mean, I, I know he's he's popular. Because of his uh, his football career, I know that the former president has endorsed him and encouraged him to get in the race. I've, I've met him; he seems like a very you know a, 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 a articulate guy. You know, care he's empathetic. You get you get the sense that this guy is real. It's not like this is a you know, this is, you know, sort of practiced and,
8: yeah, and he ready is. for
14: politics. He's an authentic guy. And as a result, in politics, sometimes it's better to be authentic than to be polished. And he's authentic.
8: Yeah. And
2: just, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, was talking to Tim Scott. He just got to show that he'll put the time in to learn the issues. Yeah. But he's got, he's got a lot going for him. Carl uh, Rove, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you.
14: Merry Christmas, my friend.
2: Uh, back at you. Merry Christmas, Carl. Does that mean he's not going to do our show again before Christmas? <laughs> I was hoping to talk to you in between. Back in a moment.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead from the Fox News
10: Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen
1: now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'd like to eat Christmas dinner at your restaurant, please.
0: Sure, I just need to see your vaccination card.
1: I actually can't find it.
0: You mean you lost the little one-inch piece of cardboard they gave you?
1: I'm afraid so.
0: Then you are banished from society. Have fun living in the woods.
2: That is uh, some of the mocking on SNL uh, with a would-be Anthony Fauci, and they had these not-ready-for-prime-time, supposed-to-be-bad actors playing out scenarios with these new rules on mandates. I actually thought this was pretty funny.
3: I do agree. Actually, watching them trying to act badly... It was. It was very awkward. But he said, like, uh,
2: well-meaning or whatever. Yeah, we're
3: nerds just trying to do, you know, scenes.
2: Right. But it it was 100% true. Exactly. Right. Well, everything you can't do now that you're not vaccinated or now that you have these new rules about a mass mandate. Uh, So I thought that was pretty cool. Evidently, they made fun of us because we thought it was a big deal that they burned down our Christmas tree on on Weekend Update. It
3: was actually, I can grab it if you want. They show a picture like Ainsley Earhart called, uh, you know, the guy who burned down the tree Scrooge. How appropriate for Fox, like a rich white woman saying a homeless man is Scrooge on Christmas? Burn down the friggin' tree, like it would.
2: People laughed at that.
3: Oh, they laughed. That was the saddest part. It was ridiculous. They did have some other funny jokes, on we can yeah, update arson, which you. Might hear later. If
2: you're homeless and an arsonist, it should be
3: fine. Then we should feel bad for you. He was just trying to get warm.
2: Ah, uh, <laughs> now I didn't even. Ah, uh, now you really ticked me off. Why you do? brought it up. Hey, uh, go to briankillme.com. I'm finishing up my last week. I'll do some other events. But of my endless tour, I'm President of Freedom Fighter. I'm going to be in Newtown, Pennsylvania on Tuesday. Then I'm going to be a special event, maybe on Friday in Nashville. Stay tuned. And then Cincinnati and Dayton. Just go to com. you got to register because in this pandemic era, they want to know how many people are coming. So I hope to see you all.
10: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's
1: listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. New York Post Michael Goodwin is going to join me shortly. So much is going on in the city. We have a reform-minded Democrat taking over who's made a big move in getting a secretary of education that actually believes in charter schools, and uh, he could have a definite effect on the uh, thousands of kids, especially minorities, who are just being let down by our education system. I and mean, uh, in uh, the New York area, I'm sure in Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Oakland, uh, and San Francisco, it's the same exact thing. Somebody's got to help these kids who a lot of them are in challenging family situations, and on top of that, they're in failing schools. You're just basically basically lining them up to come up short in life and end up frustrated and maybe on the wrong side of the law. Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour, columnist for the Washington Post, CNN contributor. Uh, He wrote Bush, She, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Uh, His latest article salutes a guy who's a good friend of this show and his canter and how he is basically showing more guts along with the WTA than just about anybody else in sports who's actually going the other way to hurt us internationally. So let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three
5: number three i think you've heard the administration you've heard biden say how tough he was in that call and mince no words but vladimir putin i'm told by u.s officials was equally tough he did not back down he played the victim he said he was the aggrieved person and stopped with all this democracy
2: Uh, That is Martha Raditz with her sources. Russia, one week after Vladimir Putin was given a direct warning about invading Ukraine, he added 10,000 more troops and more armament to the border. Why? We should all know this is much more than about Russia. It's also about China and Iran.
4: Number two, we're going to begin tonight with the staggering inflation that is hitting Americans right in the wallet. Prices were up 6.8 percent in November compared to a year ago. That is the biggest increase in nearly 40 years. Wow. Expenses for a typical American family have shot up by about four thousand dollars in the past year.
2: Joe, your economic report card just came in the mail and it is not good. And you know that Build Back Better plan you wanted for Christmas? I think it's been punted into the stands. We hope I'll tell you why.
8: Number
7: one. A lot of those people made the decision because the mandate was there and it was the thing that moved them. And it's it's keeping people alive. We've proven that mandates work. And now we're up against a new enemy with this new variant. We've got to have a strategy to fight back.
2: Yeah, the enemy is Mayor de Blasio and incentivize. You don't penalize. He doesn't seem to understand that. Because he knows everything. Here we go again. Our parent, excuse me, our politicians being clamping down with mandate mania while racing us for a variant that has mild symptoms. Because everyone's scared. Does anyone think about what this means for business and school kids of all ages when you do things like this? With me right now is Michael Goodwin. Uh, Michael, welcome back. You surprised Mayor de Blasio is going out with, uh, with such a controversial program. mandate, uh, Mass mandates for everybody.
9: Uh, good morning, Brian. No, not surprised at all. I think everything about de Blasio is about de Blasio. And so what he's trying to do is distinguish himself uh, so that uh, when he runs for governor, which he's already started doing on the side and will do full-time starting in January, um, it, it will be that, see what I did, this is what I did, he'll have something to talk about. So he, that's all it is. It's, he knows his history in New York City. This is about, for him, what he hopes will be his next job, which I think is we are secure it will not be. Most likely he will he will do as well in the governor's race as he did in the presidential race.
2: Which he got less votes uh, than zero. I think he got people who vote, <laughs> voted against him uh, rather That's than, right. yeah, I'm not sure what he was thinking. Here he is talking about uh, bringing back this ridiculous mandates and what it means. Uh, cut. Uh, and he also is talking about crime. Here's what he said about crime in this, uh, in this city. Cut 35.
7: We've got a lot to do. There's no question about it. But let me tell you, first of all, in eight years I've been mayor, uh, index crime, major crimes in New York City down 11% over eight years. And we did it bringing police and community closer together. So the key is to overcome this horrible patch we've had in the COVID era all over this country and, and rebond police and community. Get those guns off the street. And the NYPD has been doing a fantastic job. The most gun arrests we've seen in over two decades.
2: Really? They're doing a fantastic job, the community and police? I see the police backing up and letting the community uh, basically rob each other.
9: Yeah, look, I mean, de Blasio neutered the police early on and just as mayors did around the country during the COVID era, as he mentioned, as he called it. Uh, and so what you have is the result. So when he when he talks about uh, an 11 percent decrease in major crime indexes over eight years, that was all front loaded. Uh, when Bill Bratton was police commissioner in the first two years of de Blasio's reign, Crime, and especially murder, kept going down. Now, in the last two years, uh, murder and other violent crimes have been surging. And so for de Blasio, I mean, what he's doing is, you know, sort of uh, a a little bit of trickery by numbers. But the reality is people in New York do not feel safe and that is one of the major issues that the new mayor will confront so de blasio can try to spin it for his own sake right but but those the the, the numbers are in people know that murder is up, that the streets are not safe, that there's been all these heinous attacks on people uh, in broad daylight on the subways, on the streets. And so it's just uh, baloney for him to say things are better. Things are worse, not better.
2: Uh, absolutely. So let's look at Mayor de Blasio, talk about the the um, anti-crime unit, the plain clothes unit that was able to forecast where the next crime would be because they'd be out there mixing into the uh, into, into the cities, but he disbanded them and saved a billion dollars. Cut 34.
7: You know, Commissioner Dermot Shea believed we needed to change that clothes unit, and I agree with him. Those officers are now in uniform, and they're taking more guns off the street this year than we've seen in decades. So I want to say Commissioner Shea had a, a view strategically of what IT work, and he proved it, and I backed him on it. I believe that was the right way to go. But I'll tell you, I think Eric Adams is going to take everything that has been done. AND TAKE IT TO THE NEXT LEVEL OF SAFETY FOR THE CITY. I HAVE A LOT OF FAITH IN HIM. WHAT IS HE TALKING
2: ABOUT? THEY ALREADY SAID HE'S PUTTING THAT BACK. AND YOU TELL ME IT WAS THE POLICE COMMISSIONER'S IDEA TO TAKE THAT AWAY?
9: Right. I mean, again, this is de Blasio hiding behind the police when it's convenient for him. That was a disastrous idea. Eric Adams is going to restore it. Uh, So for de Blasio to claim that he and Adams are on the same page or that it was the police commissioner's idea, nobody in New York believes that. So he's just blowing smoke.
2: No question. Uh, I got to ask you, too, about Joe Biden's numbers. Uh, They are so hideous. On everything from immigration, uh, everything from immigration to the uh, to inflation, uh, the numbers are down. For example, sixty-three percent disapprove of his handling of immigration. He's got twenty-eight percent approval when it comes to inflation. When it comes to his handling of the economy, he's got forty-one percent handling of gun violence, thirty-one percent, and handling of crime, thirty-six percent. These are pretty terrible numbers from ABC with a very compliant press, even though he feels that the press is not giving him a fair shot. How do you read it?
9: Well, I think the numbers are uh, remarkably bad, as you say, Brian, uh, and they would be even worse if there was a real fair press. Uh, the situation is you take the southern border, take crime, take inflation. These are real things. You can see them with your with your naked eyes. And the media doesn't cover the southern border, uh, by and large. Uh, it's covering inflation now, uh, and, and that has been the big issue. It has not really covered uh, foreign policy, uh, because to do so would be to point out how nervous our allies are about the Biden administration. Uh, by and large, the media has given Kamala Harris a free pass, and I think when you when you look at the overall situation, it's that Biden. Uh, de- forget for a second his own uh, declining faculties. Biden has has pushed programs that are fundamentally what Bernie Sanders wanted for this country and when you see the results of those, they're they're devastating. Uh, And so here you have the Biden administration, I think, let itself into a dead end. It it drove head uh, head headfirst into this bad policy thicket and just stopped there. And now you're seeing the fruits of that in these low poll numbers. And so I think if Biden is going to get out of this, it's not about changing the media narrative, which is already in his favor or or neutral at worst for him, but it's about changing his policies. And that's what he seems reluctant, if not outright refusing to do. That's the source of his problem, not media, but it's his actual policies and the results that people can see for themselves.
2: Now, I look at Eric Adams and I have great hope, and this uh, this uh, education secretary that's going to be taking over. Are you encouraged?
9: I am, Brian, because I think there, you know, within every issue, there are hot-button points that are very revealing about where you stand. And so the new chancellor uh, 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 has come in, and he is, is looking at things uh, in ways that— uh, have our direct contrast to the de Blasio eight years uh, that we suffered through. So, for example, you mentioned charter schools. The new commissioner, David Banks, along with Eric Adams and soon-to-be mayor, both favor charter schools, which now uh, have a student population of 145,000 students in New York City, uh, which is 14 percent of the city's public school population. Charters are city are public schools in New York. And so 14 percent of the student population. de Blasio ignored those students. He hated the operators of charters. He looked to penalize them. everywhere way he could because he was in the pocket of the teachers' unions. And so the teachers' unions view charters as an existential threat, which I believe they are. And so de Blasio has done the bidding of the teachers union to the the great harm of the charter students, most of whom are non-white, and most of whom would otherwise have been consigned to inferior, if not tragically bad, local neighborhood schools. So that's one main area where David Banks is is going to be a big improvement over the failed uh, chancellors that de Blasio puts. Another one is gifted and talented. A, a very important program for, for students who are capable of accelerated learning even at young ages. Another one is this, New York City has uh, eight specialized high schools, the most famous being Stuyvesant and Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech and others. And what these schools do is, is take these high achieving, fast learning students and put them on a college career path. And these students, these schools are Uh, The big ones, Stuyvesant and Bronx Science in particular, are overwhelmingly. Asian-Americans, some 70% of the students are of various uh, Asian descent, many of them first-generation Americans, many of them uh, immigrants themselves, but they are superior students in these schools. And there's a cry from the left, oh, we have to eliminate these schools. They should look like the rest of the city. That bunk, that social engineering bunk, that Stuyvesant or Bronx Science or any of these other good schools should have the same uh, percentage of population that the school population itself has. Gotcha. Uh, look, these are schools based on merit, based on excellence. These kids deserve a chance to do what they can do, just as if they if they had physical oh. disabilities or emotional disabilities, yeah, they, have, uh, uh, they would get special, special services. Yeah, they Let got me? challenged
2: uh, family situations, and but this guy understands that. My hope is yes. that he brings that and just changes things. But my hope is, too, that Democrats understand they can't exist like this or they're going to just fall apart as a party or have to cheat on elections because these mayors have watched these cities decay, and the people have had it. Business owners, Democrats that voted for them saying, okay, let's go for a wide-open border, let crime run rampant, steal up to $1,000 worth of things that don't belong to you, have uh, oppressive leaders that take away your livelihoods, or fire you for not uh, going along with their their uh, health mandates so to me if the, if Eric Adams says does half the things he says he would that would be the template for Democrats to survive. Final thought?
9: Absolutely. And Eric Adams says, uh, I am going to show America how to run cities, and I am going to be the new face of the Democratic Party. Yeah. I mean, he has set out very lofty goals for himself, and if he achieves them, you're right. Democrats will have no choice but to but to follow along.
2: You want to see what's happened to comedy? SNL, right across the street from where we're talking now in Midtown Manhattan, took aim at Fox and Friends, mainly Ainsley. For we, we were upset that the tree burned down and the arsonist was allowed to actually watch the tree get relit. Let's listen.
10: After the tree outside of Fox News headquarters was set on fire by a homeless man, Fox & Friends host Ainsley Earhart said, this Scrooge is not going to get away with it. And nothing has ever explained Fox News better than a rich white lady calling a homeless man Scrooge. <laughs> that the, is that
2: funny ha, ha, to you?
7: Ha.
10: I mean... I mean, this guy's an
2: arsonist, a danger. He almost burned down the Rockefeller plaza He's been arrested three times over the last year, and we can't keep him because nobody got hurt. Your final thought about that?
9: Well, look, I mean, this is the left at its worst. It sort of forces itself into these corners where it defends all kinds of abnormal, antisocial, criminal behavior because... Ordinary citizens don't like it, so that that that's where they've boxed themselves in to these to these ideas that our our sympathy should be with the criminal, not the victims.
2: Michael Goodwin, thanks so much.
9: My pleasure, Brian. Thank you.
2: You got it, man. 7669 four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back. I'll take some of your calls. Bottom of the hour. Always love talking to Josh Rogan. Don't miss a minute.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason
11: in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
1: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: China responded after President Biden announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics by saying the U.S. will pay for its wrongdoing. You wait and see. But America isn't scared by your threats. And even though NBC is broadcasting the Olympics, they aren't afraid to let me speak my mind about what the Chinese government is up to. So you lift.
2: Yeah, that's uh, so appropriate. We probably should have said that for Josh Rogan coming up next.
3: Well, I figured you want to talk more substance with him, but you could play that with him that me. That
2: is that. Yeah, I'll have to play that again. I'm sorry to the listener, but that is so fantastic. Uh, that is a big question. Are they going to cover the concentration camps over there on NBC? Are the news people going to talk about uh, how they steal intellectual property uh, and how they are threatening Taiwan on a daily basis for no reason? Jacob, you're listening in Miami. Hey, Jacob.
13: Hey, just wanted to give my take on the economy and inflation. Um I sort of disagree with you uh, when it comes to inflation. You know, it, it, inflation is cyclical, and I know right now we are going through an inflationary period. Yeah, every forty years, mostly tied to. So, when's uh, the last to, time? To when's the, the last chain?
2: time inflation was up?
13: Well, but Brian, let me finish. Let me finish, and then I'll real quick. The, the vast majority is tied to supply chain because all of these manufacturers, a lot of them overseas, were shut down during COVID and we're finally getting, getting hit. That's not Trump's fault. That's not Biden's fault. It sucks. I understand. Well, how how I about the $1.9 that even Larry
2: Summers—I'm going to let you finish. I, I, I know what you're saying. The $1.9 that Larry Summers, Treasury Secretary for Barack Obama, said that is the thing that was the impetus for the entire inflationary process. And while inflation is going up around the globe— It is ripping here, and for him to deny it and say it's transitory is just wrong. And that's what's body. it. When Pete denies it's happening, says it's short-term, and everything proves to be incorrect, that's the issue. That's why it's disapproval. Not that it exists. It's how he's handling it
10: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: There's some merit, he says, in Xi's
4: state intervention if compared to the United States. I'm a free market believer, but now China has better roads,
8: better highways, better airports, better ports, better bridges than the United States, a country which dazzled me when I first arrived
4: in 1980s with this infrastructure. But now China has a better infrastructure. So there is a role for the government to play.
2: Yeah. Uh and we put some money into it and we could have put some money more into it. And a lot of state level they should do it and modernize it. I know it's happening. Uh but I just think we if you talk about the Build Back Better plan, it's unaffordable and sustainable because you gotta pick the right time to do it prior to nine eleven prior to nine eleven. Prior to the pandemic, it's almost like nine eleven. Prior to the pandemic, I would think so. You know, we were getting there where we had so much. We were getting towards a surplus. We we're a little over budget, but not much, maybe $200 billion, And we're getting there. And then this this hit us with these new trade deals. We probably would have been out of it. Who knows? Uh we're waiting on Josh Rogan. We'll see if he joins us. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 866 But I just think there's a couple of things. I was listening to The Daily on uh, The New York Times, and I just got a real understanding of what exactly the courage the WTA has shown. I mean, this is a led by Billie Jean King. She starts the World Tennis Association. They begin a global a world tour. In the 1970s, women's tennis begins to emerge. You could even say they had bigger stars than they do today. Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett, um, um, uh, Virginia Wade. Uh, Billie Jean King was really the first. And then you have all these other stars start emerging, and the WTA gets a very respected circuit and then when it comes to Ping Shui, she's a 35-year-old tennis star from China when they started putting all this money into Chinese athletics because they wanted China to have a high profile in every way, shape, and form. And this woman was a beneficiary of its great ability, went to a sports school, and begins to shine. And gets a great international reputation with the semifinals, I think, of the U.S. Open, won a couple of doubles championships. And then she decides to speak out against a government official that, uh, that assaulted her and she disappears. And the WTA demanded to see her. And when they did, it was on video and it looked halted and they could see a monitor in the back. And the IOC uh, said, you know, we want to see her too. And But basically didn't have any sincere efforts. Said they got a chance to see her. We don't know. The IOC seems at cahoots uh, with, the, uh, with the Chinese government because they're about to host the Winter Games. So the WTA says, unless we see her, unless we know that she's free— we're pulling out of all tournaments in China, and they did it, and it cost them millions of dollars. But they, are a women's organization. How could you not stand up for women when one judge accuses a public official, powerful man, of assaulting her? You gotta. So they do that, and then Ennis Cantor stands up to China because of the millions that have had their organs harvested and are working in in labor camps inside China because they happen to be Muslims. Here's Ennis Cantor on the price he paid and the lack of support in the NBA for his courageous stand. He's the center for the Boston Celtics, uh, formerly of um, Sacramento, formerly of, of Oklahoma, and formerly of the New York Knicks. Cut 29.
0: Tell me how many have gotten behind you, American companies, to support you.
15: Well, unfortunately, zero. You know, it's a shame that all these companies are scared, you know, scared because they are doing too much business with uh, the Chinese Communist Party in in China. And they know that the moment that they give me any kind of uh, deal, that, you know, all their business in China will be shut down. But, you know, I never did this to get any kind of endorsement deals. You know, I I could care less. To me, you know, the, the morals are way, way more important than anything they can offer me. But shame on all these companies out there.
2: For not showing the guts that he has and take it on. By the way, he's calling out LeBron James, which is sacrosanct uh, in NBA circles. He doesn't care. I mean, after all, his family's basically on house arrest in Turkey because he's been speaking out. Joining us now, Josh Rogan, columnist for The Washington Post, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She*, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Uh, he just wrote about uh, Ennis Cantor. now his new last name is Freedom, as he becomes an American citizen. Josh, this guy's got tremendous courage, right?
6: Hey, Brian. Yeah, I actually went out to L.A. and met with Enes Ketch for a a few hours before he played against King LeBron. And uh, I wanted to get, you know, a a sense of the guy. You know, I wanted to see what sort of made him tick. And let me tell you something. We live in this world, you know, you and I, politics and media, we're full of careerists and opportunists and just real people who can't even imagine doing something that doesn't serve their own personal interests. And here's a guy, a young guy, a 29-year-old guy who— Decided to sort of say, screw it all. I'm going to risk my career, my future, you know, even my personal freedom uh, to stand up for people who I have no connection to, who I have no interest in, in, in defending, except for the fact that they're human beings suffering under the thumb of cruel and horrendous dictators. And, you know, it, it, it's really hard for people, especially people in the NBA, to understand that because they're all sort of selfish crooks in a sense you know and they would, they would most of them when put to the choice of do i defend my own personal bottom line dollar interest or do i stand up for doing the right thing do the wrong thing every single time and you know all of a sudden ennis Cantor is not alone all of a sudden we have more examples of courage in our society and look at the women's tennis association when uh, chinese tennis star Peng shui disappeared they didn't stay silent they didn't do what the chinese communist party told them to do which is shut up you know, they said, no, we would rather have our morals and our values than that dirty blood money. And that's another sign of courage. And if we just had more of those, imagine what kind of world we might be able to live in. Unfortunately, those are some pretty rare examples. Yeah, I mean,
2: but then you have other situations where big businesses over there basically sacrificing their soul. America business. You have, uh, you have uh, of course, Jamie Dimon of, of uh, J.P. Morgan. Here's what he said uh, last week.
12: And we also the Communist have... Party is celebrating its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. <laughs> and and I'll, ma- I'll make you bet we last longer. <laughs> I can't say that in China. <laughs> they probably are listening anyway.
2: Yeah, so, and he did have yeah, to genocide. apologize. Yeah,
6: it's funny. And he Isn't did it have it to funny? apologize, yeah. You know, him, and what did, what, who was the other, the other Wall Street guy, Ray Dalio, the head of Bridgewater? He made some comments comparing, like, the human rights situation in China to what's going on inside of the United States, and you know all these sort of Wall Street, you know, fancy pants, uh, you know, Gordon Gecko types think that they are so clever when they're like, "Hey, listen, China, U.S., what are you gonna do?" You know, a genocide. Hey, 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 we're making a bunch of money, but when you get down to it, you realize how sort of sinister those relationships can be when they're abused, because that's what keeps us from doing things that we need to do to stop a genocide. And just look what's going on in Congress right now, and I. I know you've been following this, Brian. The, they won't pass the Uyghur Forced Labor Ge- Prevention Act, a, a bill that would stop slave labor products from coming into our markets and into our stores and uh, being put on our backs. And you know the reason they won't do that is because of all this corporate lobbying. And that's the Wall Street firms, for one, and that's companies that are corporate hostages of the CCP like Nike and Apple and uh, Disney. You know, And these are huge, huge powers in our society. And that's how they... Uh, stop us from doing the right thing. That's why Ennis Cantor Freedom uh, doesn't care because he doesn't have any paymasters except for the NBA, which is apparently going to probably drum him out of the league in the next couple of weeks. Uh, he doesn't care what, about the consequences, but these guys like Jamie Dimon and Ray Dalio and these uh, other corporate shows, that's what they're the business that they're in. They're in the business of, you know, being apologetic for, a regime that's doing a genocide on our watch, and I think it's grotesque.
2: I want you to hear what Ray or Dalio said. I played this last week, but just so you know, he's one of the premier investors in the world, and he's trying to make excuses for why he continues to invest in China, despite everything you just said.
15: What they have is an autocratic system, um, and um, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism. In China, it's an extension of the family. And as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent.
2: That's all. That's just a strict parent. Puts you into concentration camps and harvest your organs and, right. and and tortures you, right, until you convert. How about that? That's exactly—what I mean, kind of—what what did they think were idiots?
6: You know, it's it's very similar to sort of the message that the Chinese Communist Party puts out, right? Call that a coincidence if you wanted to, but basically, what they're doing is they're promoting Beijing's line, which is, hey, we just have a different idea of human rights. Our idea of human rights is you put two million Muslims in internment camps, and you know, then you force them to pick cotton or sew so together Nikes for the rest of their lives, and ship their kids off to some other city than ever. That's good to human rights, because look, we're paying them three dollars a day. You know, that's the kind of really warped, dysfunctional thinking that. Uh, that they expect us to buy, that they put out in their state propaganda every day. It's just very chilling when you hear it come out of the mouth of an American, much less a hugely powerful American who's in control of so much of our wealth and and influence. And sort of, it's it, when you just think about how how that sort of corrupts our policy making and our decision making. Uh, you know, it, it it's really a, should be a call to action. And I think what you see, uh, you know, in, in in Congress and in the administration is sort of a paralysis, right? Both parties, in fact. Uh, can't just seem can't seem to get anything done to address the genocide. A diplomatic boycott. What does that really do? I mean, it's, it's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it's going to take the power of people who actually care about human rights and you know liberty and freedom and democracy right. and dignity of of human beings around the world to do more. To Call for the leaders to do more. That's where we're
2: at. Listen, Josh, I'm not for this boycott. I mean, it happens over here all the time. People get upset with Fox. Next so you know, they're going after people's sponsors. I'm not for that. However, I'm just wondering if it's good business sense for Coca-Cola and Home Depot to be invested in the winter games in China if, if they know that this is going on. I mean, just on a pure business sense. Well, wow, I don't know if I really want that stain on my product. I probably could do better at the Super Bowl, don't you think? Don't you think there should be some type of legitimate public pressure, not a campaign, but public pressure to say this isn't good business
6: for us to be over there sponsoring these games? You know, I think there is that public pressure. I think it's building. Clearly it's not enough, right? I think what you're getting at here, and I I, 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 I think this is uh, sort of changing quickly actually in the light of – what the Chinese Communist Party is doing, which is doing increase its repression and increase its aggression all over the place and do all sorts of crazy stuff uh, that shocks people, right? Like when they take a tennis star and then they disappear her and then she reappears in these creepily staged hostage videos. Like, p- um, people in free society see that, they're like, oh my God, that's really bad, right? So people are sort of waking up to this idea that we're dealing with a party that uh, knows no bounds, that will do almost anything to advance its interest, no matter what the consequences are. But the corporations are always going to be the last ones uh, to, to sort of rec- admit that because they are making money. The bottom line is, in the short term, they're making a ton of money. They are being paid handsomely for... Uh, looking the other way at a genocide, and in fact sometimes profiting from that genocide—that's terrible. But we can't expect these corporations to do the right thing on their own. That's why we have to have a sort of a push in our society and in our government and our Congress, uh, you know, to make them do the right thing in some cases. And if that means banning Silicon panels that, you know, John Kerry wants to meet his target goals for climate change because they were made by slaves. Well yeah, that's I guess we're gonna have to do that because yeah. slave labor can't be tolerated and that's the bottom line. I would
2: think so. I mean I mean come on. Why isn't there pressure on that? Since when do Republicans have trouble criticizing John Kerry? That's amazing to me. Uh so there's another story that happened. I I like the fact that President Biden was putting together these council these meetings of democracies. I kind of thought it was interesting that Pakistan was invited. I didn't really mm-hmm. think there were the the capital of democracy in my mind, but a lot of people are upset. Right. I watched Fareed Zakaria uh, come out and say that that we are not uh, we are not uh, the beacon of democracy these days. No, we're having our troubles to a degree, but I still think we are. But then when a, the Taiwanese minister uh, had their video feed cut, when they showed a map that had Taiwan a different color than China, wait a second, we're, ha- we're trying to send a message to China about democracies? But yet we think we could, we're could. we afraid of ticking them off and showing Taiwan separate from China. Did you hear about this? Reuters is reporting it.
6: Yeah. So this is a crazy story because the Reuters report says that the White House ordered the State Department to cut off the Taiwanese minister when he put up a map showing Taiwan with a different color than China. Now, I'm going to break some news on your show right now just because you happened to catch me when I just learned this. And that is that actually what I'm told, and I believe my sources, uh, is that actually it was the State Department that did it, not the White House. And then they they tried to throw the White House under the bus. Uh, so in other words, there's somebody in some control room watching this democracy summit, not like a senior official. It's not like Tony Blinken is like, oh, cut the feed, you know, because he's not in charge of that. Right. It's some technical guy in the State Department who like sees this guy put up a map of Taiwan. And is like, oh, wait a second. We didn't know about that. Cut to commercial, <laughs> okay? And then the, then the emer like, oh my god, what happened? Like the White House told us to do it. That's what I, that <laughs> my, my sources say happened. Now that's a less sexy story than like Jake Sullivan intervened on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, which would be a more salacious headline, to be honest with you. But like the truth is the truth, and I'm telling you, it was actually a much more mundane story of a guy in a technical booth who screwed, who overreacted in the moment and then lied about it. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of crazy. I don't know if it tells us much about U.S.-China policy. But there you go. There's breaking news on your show.
2: Wow. So you don't need Republicans to turn on Democrats. The White House is, is turning on the State Department. So this is yeah, – exactly. it's unbelievable. That's,
6: yeah, that's what always happens. They're throwing each other under the bus. Yeah.
2: Wow. Uh, I Listen, I hear your frustration and sarcasm. It's unbelievable because this isn't a tough issue. This I mean, is a yeah, very what, easy issue. It's all about dollars. If it was this is an economic rival, dare I, I say, say enemy. Th- we have to realize that.
6: Can I add some context now that I broke some news on your show? Can yeah. I add my analysis of the news that I just broke? Yep. Okay. Okay. So it does speak to something uh, like a greater problem with this democracy summit because, you know, they were well, they wanted to include, include Taiwan, but only so much. Like the Taiwanese president couldn't come. Like they had to have some lower-level official. They had to abide by some protocol that they invented in 1972. So they are always trying to, like, treat Taiwan like sort of a half country. And that's the problem is that, like, when you try to do that, of course nobody knows where the lines are and everything gets screwed up all the time because we have, eventually we have to acknowledge that Taiwan – Acts like a country Walks like a country Talks like a country It's a democracy It's one, If we're going to support it We have to call it what it is It's a country Okay And I realize that it's like You know The changing of diplomatic relations Is a tough thing And I'm not saying We should do it right now I'm not saying We should advocate For Taiwanese independence I'm just saying that If we really mean What we say in defending Taiwan Then we have to Walk the walk Not just talk the talk not, And this is sort of An example of how Nobody knows where the lines are So I'll put it in that context Wow well,
2: So you gave us context And news I can't believe there you go. Josh I really owe you a favor Josh Rogan, thanks so much. Anytime. You got it. Uh, Josh Rogan, the Washington Post. Uh, Thanks so much. When we come back, we'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free
10: on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: for all the details. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
16: Now, of course, the pandemic has also affected people economically. Keep that in mind as you watch this next scene, two unemployed brothers on Christmas Day.
1: Hello. I am disgraced former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo.
16: And I'm disgraced former CNN host Chris Cuomo.
10: And we both lost our jobs because of COVID.
16: That's not why. That's
2: not why you lost your job. Uh, that that was a, a funny moment, and I'm sure. I mean, it just shows you the fall from grace uh, from these guys. But real quick, the President Freedom Fighter tour took place over the weekend. Special thanks to everyone in Fort Worth, uh, in Longview.
3: Yes, not not what did you say Longwood before? <laughs> yeah, Longwood,
2: because I'm thinking of Brentwood uh, Brentwood High School over here. Uh, but I am also uh, as well as. Tyler, Tyler, Texas,
3: Tulsa, and Oklahoma City. Yeah,
2: and now this week I'm going to be in Newtown, Pennsylvania tomorrow, Tuesday, and then I'm going to be before that. Then over the weekend we knew about Dayton and Cincinnati on Saturday, but now special announcement: final, uh, final uh, crossing the T's and dotting the i's with John Rich to do a book signing, first time ever, on Broadway on a Friday night at 815 at the Redneck Riviera, his beautiful restaurant.
3: So, John, Rich will be there. You'll be there. You can get a Christmas gift, get a drink. What and else can you ask for? A signed
10: book. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
3: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will,
11: I humbly say, single handedly save the world.
10: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. we privilege privileged to have with us standing by General Jack Keane, retired four-star general chairman of the Institute of the Study of War. I want to break down this huge story I saw in New York, uh, New York Times Magazine over what went leading up to, through, and then afterwards with Afghanistan, and then contrast that with the 60 Minutes puff piece where they made the Taliban seem like they would work for UNICEF, and at the same time saying that we have to not be callous and give them a whole bunch of aid. Or else we don't like children. And then Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. So uh, coming to you from New York heard around the country, where New York, once again, is the center of things uh, when it comes to crime and when it comes to mandates, vaccine mandates, and now mask. Unbelievably. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. I think you've heard the administration, you've heard Biden say how tough he was in that call and mince no words. But Vladimir Putin, I'm told by U.S. officials, was equally tough. He did not back down. He played the victim. He said he was the aggrieved person and stopped with all this democracy.
2: Martha Raddatz weighing in on what her sources tell her about the Russian side of the virtual summit. Russia, one week after Vladimir Putin was given a direct warning uh, about invading Ukraine, he's put 10,000 more troops reportedly at the border, along with more armament. Why we should care about this? and what it's re- how it's related to Iran and China.
4: Number two. We're going to begin tonight with the staggering inflation that is hitting Americans right in the wallet. Prices were up 6.8% in November compared to a year ago. That is the biggest increase in nearly 40 years. Expenses for a typical American family have shot up by about $4,000 in the past year. Joe,
2: your economic report card is in. And guess what? It is not good. And you know that Build Back Better plan you want for Christmas? It's been punted into the stands. We hope. I'll tell you why.
7: Number one. A lot of those people made the decision because the mandate was there. And it was the thing that moved them. And it's, it's keeping people alive. We've proven that mandates work. And now we're up against a new enemy with this new variant. We've got to have a strategy to fight back.
2: Uh. Mayor de Blasio, here we go again. Our parents, excuse me, our politicians begin clamping down with mandate mania while racing for a variant, a cure for a variant with mild symptoms. Does anyone think about this, be what it means for business and for kids uh, and for families? No, they don't. With me right now is General Jack Keen. Uh General, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
15: Sure, I'm delighted to be here, Brian.
2: Before I talk about Afghanistan, can I just get your take on Russia and what was what your sources are telling you came out of that virtual summit last week?
15: Well, I don't think much actually took place there, other than the airing of the grievances that both sides have. Um, certainly, Putin is taking a measurement and a stock of of Biden, who he knows very well, and obviously had seen in the previous meeting and he's trying to assess, you know, how serious is the United States and our allies about imposing some pretty significant economic sanctions and also strengthening NATO on our eastern border with possibly some additional capabilities, and and can he absorb that? I mean, what where Putin is right now, I mean, I don't think, in my judgment, I don't think we're back in... Ukraine with 110,000 troops after he put somewhere 70, 80,000 there in the springtime. I think he's back there largely because he sees additional weakness in the Biden administration after the collapse of Afghanistan. That is why he's there. I, I believe it became an accelerant for him. But he he has real issues. You know, he's, he plays a, a weak hand pretty well. And his weakest hand, It certainly is his economy and the impact that COVID has and the fact that his popularity has gone down. So he's got to be real careful here. I mean, if if the United States and NATO, particularly the EU here, are really going to impose the very tough economic sanctions that they claim they have in their kit bag, that would have serious impact on Putin. Because we've never gone down that road before on oil and gas. Uh, we've got—Trump uh, uh, sanctioned uh, oligarchs and some of his cronies. Uh, we've done that before. And we've never gone after the, taking them out of the international banking system. And I believe we have to put forces in Eastern Europe. Uh, we have to make damn certain that, uh, that Putin knows uh, that we're going to protect and defend aligned countries, those that are members of NATO. And we cannot let this— uh, an aggression with Ukraine bleed over into NATO-aligned countries, and the way to the way to guarantee that is to strengthen those countries. Something he is fundamentally opposed to, because um, he sees that as, as a major threat, uh, and that's one of the, the conditions he had on the table. You know what he what he has said he wanted, Brian, is uh, certainly Ukraine doesn't become a part of NATO or the EU. Uh, NATO countries, to include the United States, stop providing aid to them. Uh, three, if Ukraine is building up to an offensive in the Donbass, which I believe they are, uh, he doesn't want that to take place whatsoever. And By the way, Ukraine's military, no match for Russia, is considerably stronger than what it was in 2014 uh, when he initially took over. And any fight that he's going to have with the Ukrainians, there will be some cost imposed on him, and he, and he knows that. And he also— Wants us to pull away any any of the missiles that we have in our NATO-aligned countries in, in Eastern Europe. Those are some of the conditions that he that he's looking for, and I I think it comes it really comes down whether he goes or not into Ukraine to his uh, to his assessment of Biden and his resolve and determination to execute what he said he would execute. And I don't believe he went into the the specifics of all of those economic sanctions uh, that his people are talking about publicly.
2: Uh, Jack Keene, our guest. So, General, I don't know if you had a chance to read. It went on forever, but it was in three separate parts. First on Afghanistan leading to our exit. I mean, they're going to be talking about this for, for a long time, and I'm sure you talk about it with all you, the other people you serve with. But Afghanistan, one thing that was pretty clear in part one, they never thought we were actually going to leave. Because they said it's too much in America's interest. They had too much of investment. The analysis from the outside, even from the Taliban, was we're not going to leave. And here's a quote. Only a few days uh, before uh, they came up with that, said, there had been a farewell ceremony for General Austin, the long-serving U.S. commander. The military had completed 90 percent of his withdrawal, well ahead of the Biden deadline. The rapid pace was intended tend to reduce the risk of attack but it had a devastating impact on Afghan security forces. The military had spent billions to train and equip in its own image, heavily dependent on foreign contractors and air support. But the Afghans army notoriously corrupt generals stole their men's ammunition, food and wages. While security forces were supposed to total 300,000, the real number was a third of that, and out in the districts the army and police were crumbling, handing over their arms to the Taliban who now controlled a quarter of the country. As we were doing that, am I to believe that the president didn't know this was taking place and that even uh, General uh, Austin Miller didn't?
15: Well, uh, certainly Miller knew what was happening. Uh, I was talking to him about it. I mean, what, what we have to recognize is that when President Trump put Ambassador Khalid in the negotiations with the Taliban, and that yeah. began in late 2018, during that period of time, while negotiations were going on, and this was certified in the, in, in the in agreement in, in February of 2020, but during that time frame, yes, the Taliban had agreed not to attack the United States, and the United States had agreed not to attack the Taliban while these negotiations were going on. But what is not well known is part of that agreement that the United States agreed to is that the Taliban could still attack the Afghan forces, and the United States could not provide them assistance. So, therefore, no air support from the United States. So that began to take hold in, in 2019, went all through 2020. In February 2020, we had the certified deal. This was a secret portion of that deal. So what happened is the Afghan security forces for that entire period of time knew what it was like not to have U.S. air support. And I believe uh, their resolve and their commitment uh, began to wane at that time. And then when the deal was certified in February 2020, and, and a date certain was established, and it was May 31st, the United States is going to get out, I disagree with some of the leaders that this reporter is talking to, the the commanders out in the field, out in the in the provinces, they knew full well that that was a date certain and the United States was leaving. And they haven't had U.S. air support now for a year and a half. And they knew what, what that really meant, that it was over for them. And then, if that wasn't enough, the Trump administration asked Secretary Pompeo to put pressure on Ashraf Ghani to give up 5,000 detainees, and he had hardcore Taliban guys in there, and he was resisting all of that. He said he wouldn't want to do that until there's a a peace treaty, which is when you normally exchange prisoners. No, but the administration forced him to do that. And I'll tell you what, that broke the back of the Taliban. They put most of the—excuse me, broke the back of the Afghan security forces. They put most of those guys in there because they were doing combat operations since 2014 on the ground, not the United States. So that's seven years they were putting those guys in those detention centers, and they came back out, and they had to fight them again. So morale was going down for some period of time based on U.S. policy decisions. I certainly understand about the quick collapse that took place, and I I don't dispute uh, what the author is saying, but he doesn't understand the whole picture that started a couple right. of years, and prior. you and
2: you blame the Trump administration. I do, absolutely.
15: I, I blame them for that. They they wanted to get out regardless of cost, and and that's a fact. And it's it, and it's when they say they had a conditions based withdrawal, it was superficial. What were those conditions? The conditions were that the Taliban would would reject the Al Qaeda everybody knew that was never going to happen, and it didn't happen, that negotiations would begin with the Afghans and, and the Taliban. Well, okay, that's a condition, but what you what's a, a condition, and it would have some teeth in it that was not in it, was one, a ceasefire, and two, an enforceable peace treaty, peace agreement. Then that's a condition that makes some sense. Then the United States could make a, a reasonable withdrawal based on the fact yeah. that we do, and we finally have political stability and peace. Those are conditions. The conditions that are often quoted by guys who were involved in this thing were superficial conditions that had no impact on curbing right. the. But you did say that
2: you did indicate that Trump would have, you know, before Barrada would have taken over the country and made him look terrible. I'm sure Trump would have made a audible there because the whoever I, did in
15: my mind, yeah. And I talked to General Milley about this many times, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, in, in our mind, in both of our minds. And he was the last one. Uh, to, I had spoken to President Trump a number of times on Afghanistan. But General Milley had subsequent conversations of, with him. And we were both of the mind that given the conditions that were deteriorating in Afghanistan, if President Trump was reelected, he never would have pulled out. Under those conditions, yep. he would never have forfeited Afghanistan to the Taliban. No way. Gonna, and, I, and, I, right. and even though he agreed, even though he has said something different now, I, I don't believe he would have done that.
2: Right. And, and by the way, we were talking along the way about this, you and I on camera and off camera. Uh, just real quick, they bring us inside the final moments as Kabul is about to fall. Yeah. McKenzie told him to withdraw his forces. Bardar, uh, who's the representative of the Taliban, replied that the Taliban had no intention of interfering with the American evacuation, but the situation on the ground had changed. They all knew by now Ghani had fled and that the republic's forces were collapsing. Khalil Azad and the Taliban have been getting messages about Afghanistan politicians in Kabul begging for someone to take charge of security before looting and violence got worse. Everyone feared what could happen. Who's going to take responsibility, Bardar said. Khalil Azad and McKenzie looked at each other. My mission uh, is what I described, said the general, saying he wanted to know uh, who would take care of the security. He pointed a finger at McKenzie. He said, are you going to take it? The Taliban actually looked at the American generals and said, are you going to take it? He said, it's hard to know if the Taliban were serious about that. But then McKenzie repeated that he had no mission. He had his mission. That was it. He only wanted the airport. Your reaction to this dialogue?
15: Well, he didn't. Certainly, we didn't have the forces present to... Be responsible for everything that's happening in a city the size of Kabul. So I understand uh, his well, one, the surprise that 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 was dumped in his lap. But I would have negotiated with them very clearly that we needed to have space uh, to be able to enforce a, a secure evacuation, and it wasn't just the walls of the airport. We, we needed to have the space to be able to make certain that the airport was secure. And that means you have to be out a distance from it, and this, there were secure passage lanes. And I think the details of that uh, would have been an appropriate discussion to have. Not to, not take charge of all of Kabul, but take charge of the, the routes leading to the airport and the security zone mm-hmm. that you need to establish outside of it, you know, to prevent what we, we what now know yeah. took place, which was a uh, which was a
2: debacle. Unbelievable, and there's so far to, uh, that now they see, and we're up against the break. But now, sixty minutes does a whole um, uh, bleeding heart piece about how we have to give uh, back. We have to still pay for humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. In some way, we are responsible by the way we left. But uh, I, I just the piece, the way they talk about Western equipment instead of U.S. equipment. It seemed to be totally skewed uh, towards the Taliban. It was kind of sickening. General Jack Keene, always appreciate your insight.
15: Yeah, great talking to you, Brian, and your audience. Thank right, you.
2: Thank you. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Brett Bear. Brian Kilmeade.
15: Expanding your knowledge
1: base. It's Brian Kilmead. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, we're back. Uh, in about five minutes, I'll be able to talk to uh, Brett Barry. He's got his big all-star panel event coming up in February. You can still get tickets to it, the Rich Carlton uh, Golf Resort in Naples. Uh, for those people who came out in Texas and Oklahoma, thanks so much. The president of Freedom Fighter is doing extremely well. Five straight weeks on the bestseller list, top ten. So, and we actually moved up last week. And we'll see what happens this week, but it's my final weekend leading up to Christmas, Then I'm hosting the 7 p.m. next week, so I won't be able to travel. But I'm going to be going to Dayton at WHIO listeners, stopping in Cincinnati prior to that. On Friday night, I'm doing Governor Huckabee's TV show, and right after that, it was Allison's idea, and it was genius, uh, to go over, call John Rich, and see if we could do a book signing at his place, the Redneck River area. And he said, even though it's Friday night, and it's never been done before, and it's at Broadway, and it's going to be mobbed, I say we do it and we make history. So let's do it. It's going to be what time? 8.15?
3: 8.15. As soon as you're done with the Huckabee segment, we're driving over to uh, the bar and we'll be there signing.
2: And you don't have to sign up, right? Just line up.
3: Yeah, just get there. Yeah, the books are going to be for, be for sale at the bar. So right. just come on down, have a drink, and have fun.
2: Right. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle of Save America's Soul. And here's the key. Everybody else's gifts are stuck on a barge in Long Beach or Los Angeles. Uh, so this is going to be the only thing under the tree. So you might as well have it personalized. It's the only thing, besides the Christmas book by the the Duffies. Uh, Listen, when we come back, Brett Baer will tell me if he will go to Nashville on Broadway, and so much more. Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
6: Now, I'm going to break some news on your show right now just because you happened to catch me when I just learned this. And that is that actually what I'm told, and I believe my sources. Uh, is that actually it was the State Department that did it, not the White House. And then they they tried to throw the White House under the bus. Uh, so in other words, there's somebody in some control room watching this democracy summit, not like a senior official. It's not like Tony Blinken is like, oh, cut the feed, you know, because he's not in charge of that. Right. It's some technical guy in the State Department who like sees this guy put up a map of Taiwan. And is like, oh, wait a second. We didn't know about that. Cut to commercial, okay. And then, the, then the emmer's like, "Oh my god, what happened?" Like the White House told us to do it. That's what I, that my, my sources say happened. So Josh Rogan at Washington Post
2: was just on with us saying that, uh, you know, he's upset like everybody else is that uh, corporate America, the IOC is just going ahead with the Olympics, not sanctioning a warning China as they disappear their their best tennis player ever. The a backs out and all these investors going in. And then they talk about the Council of Democracies, the democracy summit that took place on the initiative of the Biden administration, which seems like a great move. But as soon as someone popped up a map that showed Taiwan in a different color, the red China, meaning a separate country, they quickly cut the feed. And evidently he is his sources say it was the State Department that did it and then blamed the White House. Brett Baer joins us now, chief political anchor at Fox News. Anchor special report, Brett. That scenario that Josh Rogan just told us—I want to throw that at you. Does that sound plausible? It does
8: sound plausible, but it also sounds plausible that you know this is a double bank shot, you know, to try to cover up for a White House that is, you know, um, very sensitive about offending the CCP, which is pretty amazing, but. Listen, it does sound plausible, and Josh Rogan has great sources. I think the overall story, whether it's the State Department or the White House, is an administration that it's hard to see uh, that they're taking a hard line on some of this Chinese activity. And um, it's also hard to see what happens if China does invade Taiwan, what the response of the Biden administration would be.
2: Yeah, because we're all looking to see what happens in Russia. Uh, And so far since that summit, what has changed? Nothing. They put 10,000 more troops, evidently, to the border region. And who knows about armament?
8: Right. And, you know, I think that that's uh, very telling. I think that... Uh, listen, no one in their right mind wants the u s involved in another engagement uh militarily, but there's also a sense that Putin knows that and is rubbing you know the face of uh administration officials in it and he's he's essentially uh testing prodding, and I think that that's possible with China's doing as well,
2: yeah, I mean I guess that's that's what could be taking place, but do you relate it to what Iran's doing and what China may ultimately be doing? So if they allow—let's say they go in and start penetrating into the Ukraine again. Like clockwork with the Olympics over, that could easily happen in Taiwan. Don't you think? It could. And and then you're dealing with, you know—
8: Three major uh, opponents on the international stage: Russia on the border with Ukraine, China and Taiwan, and Iran as a destabilizing figure in the Middle East, as they're trying to rescue a, a nuclear deal that seems destined to to fail. At least the Iranians haven't signaled they're going to do anything.
2: Here is uh, what President Biden said yesterday or Saturday, Cut 22.
4: What made you decide to take uh U.S. ground combat troops off
12: the table when it comes to Ukraine? There never were on the table. And are you ready to send American troops into war and go into Ukraine to fight Russians on their battlefield? Look, here's the deal. I've made it absolutely clear to President Putin, it's the last thing I'll say, that if he moves on Ukraine, the economic consequences for his economy are going to be devastating. Devastating.
2: We're just not sure what happened in that virtual. Do we know what he means by devastating? Is that that swift financial program? You know, is it, you know, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? We're getting conflicting reports on that because the Russians said he never even brought it up. What are you hearing?
8: Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing that there was some talk about economic sanctions, but not real specifics. But, you know, uh, this is coming from Sullivan, the national security advisor. Um, The Russians could be saying something publicly to also make the U.S. look bad. The bottom line, there will be repercussions if Russia does it. The repercussions will not include U.S. troops um, on the border there. And uh, Biden's made that clear. Now, that said, U.S. military – putting lethal weapons in with the Ukrainians, putting trainers in with the Ukrainians. I mean, there's significant things that could happen. uh, But the economic side, I think, is what they're warning about now
2: publicly. Yeah, the Daily Caller had a report that said that the word is that he was pushing Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, to give up some land for peace. Have you been able to substantiate that?
8: I have not. And um, it would be really something if that's the case. You know, if if all of the talk about sovereignty and protecting land and and valuing each uh, leadership uh, would lead to that, but we haven't been able to independently confirm it.
2: Well, it would be tough. Here's what Martha Raddatz said yesterday, Cut 25.
5: I think you've heard the administration, you've heard Biden say how tough he was in that call and mince no words. But Vladimir Putin, I'm told by U.S. officials, was equally tough. He did not back down. He played the victim. He said he was the aggrieved person and stopped with all this democracy. So he was very, very tough. That's the way it was
4: described.
2: So that's interesting that the ABC reporting has the Russian side, too. We don't get a lot of that, and we don't don't know how much to agree on it either.
8: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to to believe that Putin would be tough, and um, he's been tough before with American leaders. Um, You know, uh, anecdotally, the first time President Obama met with Putin, uh, it essentially was a speech that Putin delivered uh, to Obama, not really letting him talk and um, so he's tried to strong arm different leaders of the u.s um and you know we it didn't seem to happen with uh, donald trump but we never really got inside that room about what the um the relationship was
2: pretty bad polling uh for the president i mean brett did you, did you see these polls they've come out i mean 63 percent disapprove of the way he's handling immigration only 28 percent approve of the way he's handling or not handling inflation uh, the economy recovery, 41%, that's relatively high compared to the 32% who lists him as approving of his gun violence, uh, Whereas his stand is, 36% approve of the way he's handling crime. These got to be sobering numbers for a president that decided on Friday to do the Tonight Show, but on Saturday not to go to the Army-Navy game.
8: I know. It's bizarre. I just think that their uh, PR strategy is um, has been in question, and You know, I heard one Sunday show this weekend say that the polling is not his fault. Um, It's hard to get your head around that because (laughs) it is his administration. It is his decisions. It is his action or inaction that's producing the reaction from American people.
2: But you did. Did you feel the same pressure that evidently the Biden administration is doing meeting with the press to try to get better press? No, but they are clearly on a full court press uh, to
8: try to get some kind of, you know, assessment that it's better than it really is. And uh, some networks are clearly buying into that.
2: Uh, So, Brett, your all-star panel event, if people want to be part of it at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples coming up in February. I know not many people have seen uh, past Christmas, but... You could get tickets right now, correct?
8: Allstarpanelevent.com. Uh, it is you, me, Shannon Bream, Jesse Waters, Dana Perino, and Harris Faulkner, an all-star panel of all-star panels, and uh, in person. And you can get uh, tickets at allstarpanelevent.com. February 19th at the Risk carlton Tiburon, where they just had that... Um, QB shootout, uh, Greg Greg Norman's big event, and uh, it's a great place, and it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, you've done these before. It's uh, it's a lot of interaction, and you know, Q and A, and you know, good
2: laughs. It's an exclusive show. That's what it is. It's a show. I mean, which is, is, and it's totally unscripted, and everyone in that <laughs> arena, those doors close, and they don't have to keep a secret, but it is their show.
8: That's exactly right. And, so, uh, you know, it's a lot of people you see all the time on TV, but I, I would argue we're a little different in person.
2: Well, I am. Uh, and I'm one <laughs> of the few sober ones. I'm very different in person. <laughs> right. I can't say the rest for the rest of your crew, uh, especially some of those rookies. Sometimes they get too nervous. Yeah, and They, they get over- a little and,
8: nervous. Yeah. A couple cocktails.
2: So, so uh, when I was doing a book I did a book signing in uh, Fort Worth and then went over to uh, Longview and then went over to Tyler, and then Tulsa and uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Now, where was that picture? I tweeted this out. I don't know if you've seen it. But oh, a I man did see it. The guy with me. the picture, yeah. I mean, with the book, yeah. So, so what happened is, on one shoulder is your the photo on to rescue the Republic, the photo you chose of U.S. Grant, and on the other is the Lincoln picture that I chose for one half of my book, The President Freedom Fighter. So I had him roll up his sleeves. I held books on both sides. <laughs> to see that you can do both, you can get. I'm not saying that our audience should tattoo themselves with our book cover, but it was a wonderful gesture, don't you think? That's, Have you seen it a on a Twitter walking, yet? He's a walking book
8: promo. Yes,
2: he is. But I mean, <laughs> really the only thing I ask him is to wear short sleeves or a tank top, or else it's not going to help him because they're on his deltoids.
8: I did see it. I, I retweeted it actually.
2: Well, that's that's big of you. You probably sold five thousand books because of his uh, because of his arms. So, Are you going to continue this like into
8: twenty twenty three? Or <laughs> wh- wh- how Listen. long is the
2: book tour? See the thing is when you don't golf I put in like,
8: three weeks. I put in three weeks. I thought that was good of me.
2: Brett, you're a golfer. So when you have free time and you're not working, you have something to do. I don't play soccer anymore. So if I have free time, I want to just I'll go do a book signing. That's good. Right? That's good. So I got this one. I just found out this. You know, I'm going to be this, can I tell him, Allison? All right, so yeah. okay, Allison gave me permission. Eight fifteen Friday night in Nashville at John Rich's bar on a Friday night in Broadway. That was nice. Allison's idea, and I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, there is going to be no room work. for me to sign. No, that's fantastic. That's a great captive audience. Do you think I could fold in Brett Bear in Nashville Friday night? Or <laughs> do you have
8: a golf
5: tournament like,
2: or something? Bring the tattoo guy. <laughs>
8: <laughs> and then it's an automatic transition.
2: Right. Then Saturday I'm going to in Cincinnati as a tribute to Hammer. You didn't do any tribute to Bill Hammer. I am and that you work true. with him on Election Night. And then I'm going yeah. to Dayton WHIO listeners and then I'm called then I'm going to have an emotional goodbye to the tour.
8: Wow. Well, I'd like to like dial in for that one cuz that's a that's a long effort. And congrats on the success. I mean, it's still hanging in there.
2: Yeah, it's still hanging in there. Uh, your book, a, a runaway bestseller as well, but most importantly, we're talking about the history of the country accurately, unvarnished. You, you were going to rescue the republic. You're not trying to whitewash. It was it was a, a time in which Reconstruction was falling apart. A deal had to be cut. The South was pushing back against the result of the Civil War, for lack of a better term. And when I'm talking about Frederick Douglass, I'm not talking about an ideal childhood. The guy was born a slave, never knew his birthday, obviously his parents, uh, and was able to overcome it all. That's it's not CRT, story. and we're not. We're, and we're also looking at the real history of America that we fought our way through.
8: That's exactly right. I think we should do a dual
2: event. What do you think, Allison? What kind of would would there be separate tickets for? Like, would there be the Bret Bear <laughs> ticket, Brian <laughs> Kill Me ticket, and then a, and then a combined ticket? Yes. No, I think it would be great. I mean, it, the most fun I have we did four of them, uh, those uh, stage shows talking oh, about like all the Dana. books at the same time.
8: Yeah. Didn't you do one
2: with Dana? Yeah, I did one with Dana, and now we're supposed to do one together. Pandemic got in the way, so we postponed until May. Nice. All so, right, well, get me on the schedule. Let's all right, we'll going. see We'll see what I can do. I'll talk to your people. <laughs> all right. All right, Brett, we'll watch you tonight at 6.
1: We'll
2: see you. Uh, back in a moment.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
16: It's me, Dr. Fauci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do people still think I'm sexy, or are we done with that? I, when people see me on TV, they think, oh, this can't be good. And their children think, wow, that elf on the shelf got old. Hey, man. As you probably heard, there is an Omicron wave sweeping the globe. Some experts feared the Omicron variant would be vaccine resistance, kind of like... I don't know, 40% of Americans. More recent data suggests that if you had a vaccine and a booster, you should be pretty well protected. So if that's you, I'd like to officially say, unclench. With COVID cases on the rise, people still have a lot of questions. Is it safe to travel? Can I still use this as an excuse to get out of stuff? I would like to never work again. The important thing is to get vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated, get boosted. And if you're boosted... Maybe you want a little top off, and a little splash.
2: I don't know. All right, that was uh, some of the Fauci cold open stuff from uh, over the weekend on SNL. That was pretty funny. So let's find out if there's even more to know.
1: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833 600 Gold. That's 833 600 G O L D.
2: City of Chicago says it will, forego, it will forge on with a lawsuit against actor Justice Smollett for $130,106.15 to cover the overtime racked up by dozens of officers in his phony hate crime stunt. Uh, I think he's going to get sued by the Nigerian brothers, too. Can someone please tell Black Lives Matter that the Nigerian brothers are black and that their lives matter, too?
3: They don't matter, though, because they're not the right kind of black.
2: Next. Jussie Smollett's juror says they all immediately knew disgraced Empire Star was guilty and that his poor testimony led to his conviction. Good job, Jury.
7: Next. On Thursday, a Chicago jury declared Jussie Smollett really bad at acting.
3: That's it, but funny.
2: Good. <laughs> Next. Peloton trolls Sex in the City reboot with an ad that brings back to life the character killed off while riding one of their bikes in the show. Uh, Mr. Big, right?
3: Yeah, that was just a spoiler.
2: Listen. To New Beginnings. new beginnings you look great
15: i feel great
10: shall we take another ride life's too short not to (laughs) and just like that the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart lungs and circulation reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases cycling strengthens your heart muscles lowers resting pulse and reduces blood fat levels he's alive
2: now, the, uh, the problem is it really hurt business, right, when he died on the Peloton?
3: So I feel like, is there another company out there that hasn't had so many, like, highs and lows with just, like, publicity and the I know. Echelon like
2: seems to be great.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think it ends up benefiting Peloton, though, in the long run.
2: Right. You think so? He, he evidently, in the show, he dies of a heart attack while riding his Peloton in the premiere episode of the reboot. Uh, many fans were left devastated by the sudden death of the character who first made his debut in 1998. Why bring him back and kill him all for
3: the first time? Well, because they need to see him there, but then they need to continue the storyline, right? Because it's not so exciting if Carrie uh, Bradshaw isn't looking for love oh. or sex in the city.
2: Speaking of love,
3: next.
2: Judge's <laughs> husband Mox Biden administration for restarting the student loan repayments. The husband of the transportation secretary, Chaston, or Chaston, who recently became a father of newborn? Judge is upset because his student loan payments uh, student loan payments will restart July. Excuse me, January thirty first. Come on.
3: Yeah, but He's LOL. had a year and a half off. But you know they think you shouldn't have to pay back your student loans.
2: I know. What about all those people that did? Yeah. Uh, next, Rust Assistant Director David Halls, who handled Alec Baldwin's gun charge, they do uh, Alec Baldwin the, gu- the gun They killed Hyena Hi- uh, Hutchinson. Hellner Hutchinson, is subpoena for an interview after he declined two previous requests. This is where the guy either throws Alec under the bust or doesn't. Either if he says something like, I told him not to point it, or there's someone loaded it, I didn't know it. There's still so much mystery there.
3: I agree, because just nothing about it makes sense.
2: There has to be a reason why Alec did that interview and said, I never pulled the trigger. Never pulled the trigger. Man, it's it's, it's a tough one. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Go to bryankilme.com, find out where I'll be at the President Freedom Fighter Tour the last weekend. Stay with us.